A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Tierney ou le grand pont pour éliminer Furlon. Qu'est-ce qu'il lui a fait là Qu'est-ce qu'il lui fait qu'il y a un Tierney Tierney, c'est quoi C'est quoi ça Il vient souhaiter une très bonne année aux supporters d'Arsenal. Kieran Tierney, quel rush Magnifique is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, good morning to you. Good morning to you too, Andrew. How are you doing today? I'm all right. I'm all right. Had a pretty good weekend. It was beautiful weather here. Our heat wave has come to an end in Ireland, which is a shame, but made the most of it over the weekend. Stayed in the back garden, cooked lots of food on the barbecue, had some drinks, and watched uh, watched a movie last night, which made me think it must be fucking great to be Ray Winston. Go on. Tell me why. Well, I'll tell you why. I watched Black Widow. I don't know if you've seen it or not. Not yet, no. Fairly standard Marvel, fair kind of action by numbers, watchable on a Sunday evening kind of thing. But Ray Winston plays, I, I guess, is he a Russian or a Hungarian guy? Um, I don't know what it is, but he just sounds like Ray Winston. You know, there's no, no, well, he tries to do an accent, but basically he just sort of is Ray Winston like, yeah, your menu's going to sort this out right now. You know, like that. Mm, mm, so he, mm. he must be the perfect guy for like a, an improv game. Like put Ray Winston in a scenario doing a specific accent. Like, and it's just Ray Winston. It's just Ray Winston. Suggest one and I'll do it right now. Um, okay, put Ray Winston in a Western, a cowboy film. Look at you, you fucking horse. I'm going to get down off you now. <laughs> you know, it's just the yeah. same. It's it's yeah. amazing. Like, fair He's play. He's a chameleon. To him. He is, but just one colour. Yeah. 
<laughs> he's just a green chameleon. Yeah. Uh, steadfastly refusing to change colour. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember in The Departed, he, he turns up and he's very Winston. <laughs> he is, yeah. <laughs> he tries, he does try, though, doesn't he? He goes, you get in the car. Yeah. <laughs> they gave him, like, one note. They were like, oh, they sort of extend that sort of AR sound. And he's yeah. like, right, I'll do that. Yeah. Everything else, Ray Winston. So in fairness to him, he's probably thinking, they've paid for Ray Winston. But that's I might it. as well give them Ray Winston. That's exactly it. You know what you're getting when you hire Ray Winston. You know exactly what you're going to get. So nobody should yeah. be shocked. It just occurred to me that it must be fucking great to be him. I mean, the only other person who, who completely steadfastly refused to do any kind of accent, I think we spoke about this before, was um, Sean Connery when he was in Highlander and he was the Spaniard. I'm from Cheville. And it's like, <laughs> my name is Juan Pablo Ramirez. Yeah, uh, that's true. He just was like, oh, yeah, I've got, you're Spanish. How will they know you're Spanish? Just say, I'm a Spaniard. That's how you know I'm Spanish. But a Jedi no- mind trick, basically. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. Charisma but- can carry you a long way, is what we're learning, <laughs> I guess. How was your weekend? It was good. Our heat wave um, kind of ended before yours, mm. and so we descended into storms and floods over the weekend. There's a sort of, you know, suitably apocalyptic feeling to it all. Um, but also I've been watching the Olympics here and there. Uh, it's quite strange, obviously, watching an Olympics without f- crowd. Um, it's usually such a big part of the experience. Yeah. But, um, you well, know, it's nice to... Uh, see some other sport occasionally from time to time i haven't every four years yeah yeah i haven't seen a single second of any of the olympics uh yet and it's not really that i'm not interested just sort of haven't bothered i I don't believe you i bet you've seen a second of the women's football oh i have of course i saw the goal that uh vivian Miedema scored the other day listen to this listen to this can you hear that it's not is it oh my good lord fucking outside don't move, Andrew. Bastard, man. If I move, they'll see me. Yeah, exactly. It's like that bit in Jurassic Park yeah. where they're in the car. They've just got to stay very still. <laughs> um, they're having a right Yeah, what a goal that was, by the oh, way. Oh, my Me goodness. What a goal. That was a really brilliant goal. Uh, and it looked like a pretty entertaining game. 3-3 draw between the Netherlands and Brazil. But that really was the only second of the Olympics that I've seen. Has any of the good stuff started yet? Like the... The running, like traditionally my my interest in athletics is restricted to like the sprinting and maybe the 800 metres and the 1500 metres. I don't think the athletics is properly underway yet. I mean, there's been a lot of cycling. Uh, the diving happened while I was sleeping. Tom oh, Brady yeah. He won himself a gold medal. Oh, good for um, him. Yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to think. I think the taekwondo has happened. Some of the sort of martial arts have happened. But no, if it's the running you want, that is all still to come. Right. Okay. Well, something to... The fast running as well. That's the most interesting one, right? (laughs) I saw saw, saw a good tweet yesterday. I can't remember who it was um, or where it was exactly. But somebody making the case that they should just put an ordinary person in every Olympic event so you can really understand how good these uh, athletes are. Because they're it all just be handy for context. Yeah, exactly. Like they're oh yeah, they're just running a bit fast, aren't they? But like put a put a guy in, you know, the hundred meters, even in the heats, and he's sort of still chugging along at twenty two seconds, <laughs> and these guys are all finished. I mean, we know they're fast, but just you know, give us some give us some real life context for all this. So, 
I think that's an interesting idea. Yeah. I'd be up for that. Especially with some of the more obscure stuff, you know. Things like the pole vault. I always wonder with the pole vault, how do you get started? Like, what's the first time you're like, right, I, I'm going to do it this time? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, there's a high margin for error. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's like it's like the, uh, you know, like with everything, you get much better at things as you do it, as you practice. And, it, you know, stuff like, you know, the guys who have those wingsuits and they skim across the earth and they go through like mountain formations, which have like a hole in them and they go straight through yes. those. I yes. mean... Madman. The attrition rate must be pretty fucking high in that sport, right? <laughs> there must be just yeah. guys splattered across mountains all over the world. Well, his first go... They, they never make it to yeah. YouTube, those guys. <laughs> You're not allowed to post videos like that, I'm sure. But uh, no, yeah, the pole yeah, vault that- is an interesting one because it's quite terrifying when you look at it. Yeah, and I just, I always wonder, like, what's the trajectory? Are you a high jumper who then is like, what if I had a pole? What if I, I had a know. really bendy stick, I could do much higher jumps. I just can't imagine the first time you're like, right, I'm going to stick that stick in the ground and go for this. I mean, it's ludicrous, but it is impressive. Don't get me wrong. No, no, no. Um, I, like, yeah, fair play. Oh, to we them. had skateboarding as well in the Olympics. Did right. you catch any of that? I didn't, no. I, I think a 13-year-old uh, girl won the gold medal, um, which is quite impressive. I mean, a 13-year-old girl won the gold medal in skateboarding at the Olympics. I mean, there's a sentence you would not have heard in the 1980s. No, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I mean, brilliant for her, but, like, it is a bit weird. Do they have pretty much every sport in the Olympics now? Because I I remember saying... Yeah. Go on. No, I was, you, you see what you're I was just going to say, like, you know, do, uh, cheese rolling. Is that a, an Olympic sport or is there, you know, all these weird sports that, that exist seem to make it into Olympic Games now? Yeah, they added five new sports um, for this Olympics, which were skateboarding, surfing, karate and sport climbing. Now, That's I've only heard- four. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's right. Four, sorry. What's the other one? Like owl thumping or something? Weirdly, that's... What are the five new Olympic sports? Uh, Baseball is the other one. Apologies. Right. But I have heard that the next Olympics will have breakdancing as a sport. Now, that is a sentence you might have heard in the 1980s. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) We've come full circle with that. Uh, But it is interesting because, like, karate or something like that, you feel like, okay, well... It's, in a way, it's surprising that's not in there. You know, yeah. judo's been in there, taekwondo's been in there, but um, skateboarding is slightly more left field. It's it's certainly and and when you get to break dancing, I think we are uh, definitely blurring the um, territory of what a sport is. But that's nothing new in the Olympics. I believe that in the Paris Olympics, like in the early part of the twentieth century, putting out fires was a sport. Um, <laughs> what? <Well, laughs> Don't How do you do that? that? I'm pretty sure that's true. How do you do? I mean, was do you get like points for how you put out the fire? Right, there's a fire. Go put it out. Oh fuck! What do I do? Hang on. Let me take a big artistic skill. Yeah, yeah just, I don't I'll, know. I'll get a big uh, mouthful of water and just run over and go, and like like a human hose or something. Or what do you do? <laughs> do, you, do you like fan it out with your with your blazer? How does it yeah, work? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, uh, I, I guess it's how long the fire burns and how long it. 
how many people are <laughs> killed. I don't know. Uh, it, there must be marks. You've got a massive pole as well, probably, to right. jump up to the high windows. Yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> this, I, 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 the reason I know this is that I think I was in a horrible history sketch about it once, and now I may have distorted reality, but mm. who knows? Who knows? Anyway, they're putting some weird stuff in the Olympics is the is the takeout from this. For sure. And who knows what we'll see between now and the end of the games. Uh, right. So, look, uh, Arsenal played a preseason friendly against Millwall at the weekend. Yes. Did you watch it or did you watch the goals? I've watched the highlights and then I watched some of the... You know those kind of compilation videos of individual players mm. that kind of show what they did? Yeah, yeah. I sort of absorbed the game that way. Did you watch live? I did not. I don't think it was available to watch live, was it? I think they put it out to watch in its entirety after the game had happened. I don't think it was live. Ah, and that at correct? that point, I'd seen someone tweet that we, we beat Millwall 4-1. And, you know, that's too much of a spoiler for me to sit down and watch the whole 90 minutes then like had it mm. had it been live maybe maybe i might have but i watched the goals and that was kind of it i suppose um you know there isn't a great deal you can take from a behind closed doors friendly against millwall other than we won a game for the first time in preseason, so that's good and the goals were pretty nice Couple yeah of some nice goals particularly yeah. the pepe one i thought mm. was really nice um Nice little step over from Lacazette. Good finish from Pepe. Andrew, we conceded off another set piece, technically. Did we? So, <laughs> I, yeah, didn't, I, think, I didn't see the goal we conceded. All uh, right. So it was a corner that was headed out and they knocked it back into the box from sort of the halfway line and scored. And they hit the post off another set piece. So if you're inclined to get head up about a friendly, that's your area to target for this one. Yeah. Um, well, it's the theme of preseason so far, isn't it? Our, our <laughs> set piece weakness i mean maybe it's exactly. what you said last week the guys just knocking it all down to build it back up again isn't that what like um who's the the golfer the irish golfer podrick harrington oh, who yeah. won a couple of majors and then completely deconstructed the way uh, his swing right to to garner some improvement or other so he radically changed i think the way he addresses the ball the way he hits the ball the way he swings the club everything so he had to like relearn the whole thing and it it took a while to to get back to you know um being good again if he ever did i'm sure he did i mean maybe he didn't i don't know but he's still there and doing it so maybe that's what's happening with our set pieces it's just right forget everything you ever knew about set pieces which mm. is head them away from the goal, we're going to do things differently. A radical new theory. Yeah. Which involves not heading it away. <laughs> exactly. Until we reveal that the, the solution to the problem is heading it away. Maybe we're just lulling our, you know, competitive opponents mm. into a full sense of security um, by, you know, showing this as a potential weakness and then yeah. actually to disguise our true weakness. Um, attacking set pieces. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Arsenal, of course, was supposed to be away right now, yeah. wasn't they? But that all went up the spout. It certainly did. It certainly did. And uh, look, a real, real shame for uh, for everyone over there who is going to to go yeah. to those games and, and see the teams, etc., etc. But, you know, I suppose, um, can we read anything into the absences? There are some 
players who didn't take part in the game against Millwall, and some mm. of them have been linked with moves away. Hector Bellerin was one. Joe Willock wasn't there. There was somebody else, say, Kolasinac. But it was um, you know, suggested to me on Twitter that maybe those, those guys were perhaps caught up in the, the positive COVID cases, and maybe that explains their absence more than you know, imminent departure, which it could just as easily, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, the club are never going to... No. Are quite unlikely to come out and sort of speak about individual medical cases. And there have been many instances, or several instances, certainly, over the last six months or so, mm. players, you know, have been affected by COVID or had to isolate, and the club has managed that internally. And I think it's probably fair to assume, given that we don't think there is any, there are any great significant developments with... Uh, those players in terms of their transfers out the club. I mean, it's a coincidence, I think, certainly, that they're all players who could be on the way out. But mm. I think it's a fair assumption that some or all of them were in some way affected by what happened with Arsenal because, you know, we know there were first-team players involved and and those guys were on the sidelines. Mm. Fingers crossed, um, whoever is affected is not too seriously affected. And that was my understanding anyway yeah. at the time, that, you know, there were no... I think it was even asymptomatic the cases that Arsenal had at London Colney. Right. Um, which shows, again, the problem of kind of containing and tracking this thing when you can just have it and have absolutely no idea. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, it's just something that football is going to have to contend with um, throughout the course of this season, I think. And I don't think it's going to be the first or the last issue that football clubs have with with uh, coronavirus during this season. But fingers yeah. crossed those incidents are, you know, few and far between, uh, you know, for, for obvious reasons, goes without saying. Yeah, I, I can't remember if I said this on here before, but we're, we're sort of in this weird, awkward place where, you know, we've got a nation that's unlocking, um, but we still have quite stringent, mm. uh, strict isolation rules. And mm. it just is creating cases like this, not just... For Arsenal, but certainly like in the other yeah. industry I work in, the entertainment industry or the catering industry, places are being told to act and behave normally. Mm. Um, but also, you know, everything could be whipped under, from underneath you at any moment. So yeah. it's a particularly tricky time. And I think other pre-season trips will probably fall the way of Arsenal's, I'm sure. Yeah, well, look, you know, there's one thing about pre-season. It's another thing if it, it starts to impact you um, during yeah. the season and, you know, what, what rules and regulations and uh, what kind of things the Premier League might have set in stone for, you know, let's say a, a team is down seven or eight players or something like that, which, you know, it's not impossible. It's unlikely, but it's not impossible. So we'll have can to I, wait. Can I raise something yeah. about the America thing? Do you think it is significant or matters at all? I mean, someone like Stan Kroenke, for example, I don't think has been over in London since the pandemic mm. uh, began. And presumably Arsenal's trip to Florida, I think, would have represented an opportunity for people like Mikel Arteta, Edu, Vinay to be in his company and have, you know, discussions. Do you think strategy. he would have gone? Well, he wouldn't. Maybe Josh would have. I think I think somebody from KSC would. I just wonder, given that we know, you know, it was previously uh, talked about that there was the infamous uh, barbecue at Josh's house in 2019 where they decided, let's pursue Pepe. Do you think it matters that the manager, for example, doesn't get in front of the owners in person in the way he might have done if they had gone to America? I mean, I, I, yeah, I think you could say that would be useful, wouldn't it? Like face-to-face -face mm. contact is always... 
a good thing, you know, in any kind of work environment. We can all do the Zoom thing or the FaceTime thing or WhatsApp video calls or Skype yeah, or the yeah. myriad ways we have of, of communicating with each other. But, you know, there's nothing quite like face-to-face. Um, I don't know that it will have a huge or should have a huge impact on anything in particular, like unless they had some kind of a... I mean, I suppose not beyond the realms of possibility that they had some meetings planned or a kind of, you know, an afternoon summit or whatever it might be to to finalize or, or get the green light for certain things. But um, I, I guess it just makes it a little bit more awkward rather than it not happening at all, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think that's true. The The only way in which I think it could matter is if, like, you know, if there's a case or an instance where... I don't know, maybe Mikel wants the club to push the boat out mm. on a player. Maybe those wheels are greased easier in a kind of social yeah, yeah, setting. Yeah, 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 yeah. O- over a beer at a bar, yeah, I know whatever what it might get, be. Get, get Josh drunk and then <laughs> exactly yeah. film him going, sure, sure, you can have all the money, man. Yeah. Yeah, or yeah, just yeah. film him really drunk and jumping into a pool naked or something and then use that <laughs> to blackmail him. This is going on TikTok, motherfucker, unless you give me <laughs> for 70 million to buy James Madison. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, I'm sure they'll be able to cope. But yeah, look, they were supposed to be in the States for, for what, over a week or mm. more than that, I think, because they were going to fly out on the Wednesday. They were due to play, well, I guess it would have been a week because they would have played that Everton slash Millenarios game on the Wednesday. So Wednesday to Wednesday and probably come back to the UK on the, what you call it? on the Thursday or Friday because we do have that game against Chelsea coming up on Sunday. So, they, yeah, there would have been a week over there. It would have given them some time to to do, uh, you know, a few face-to-face things. But I think they can obviously still do those. I mean, Josh could just as easily, now that, that international travel is is open, he could come to the UK, um, mm-hmm. you know. But again, uh, yeah, I've got no insight into whether that will happen or, or or not. I mean, there was some talk, wasn't there, about him being in the UK a few weeks ago? Or maybe it was yeah. when all the Daniel X stuff was going on. That, yeah, I don't know yeah. that for a fact, but I, I, it wouldn't surprise me enormously. I think it's, it's Stan particularly that hasn't been over. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. You'd imagine that they will be keen to be... Um, more present at games next season, given that I guess you know Josh particularly was prior to the pandemic and then hasn't been, of course, mm. throughout that. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he's a fairly regular face in the kind of uh, you know executive seats. This mm. That'll be interesting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't think he'll be on the north bank. I'll put it like that. Best of luck to him. Um, I suppose the one major piece of news that has happened is the contract extension for Emile Smith which yeah. sort of happened on on Friday um, after I'd finished literally just talking to Art de Roche um, and we were looking at it. I was like, oh, look, they're about to do the Smith Rowe thing. So we didn't get a chance to talk to that. So we can have a chat about it. Obviously, very pleasing news. Um, I think we said here that it's probably one of the easiest things that was on the to-do list. When you look at everything that has to be done, getting a... 20-year-old who's been at the club since he was a kid, who loves the club, getting him to commit his future 
um, to the team is pretty much one of the simplest things that you, uh, you, as a technical director or as a club, that you can do. And and they did it. So fair play, a new contract, five year deal, and a new number as well, and, and number ten. So um, let's talk first about the deal and what you think of that, and then we can talk about the number. Yeah, sure. Well, I think you're right. It was seemingly one of the most straightforward things to do. And I, I do wonder if maybe because of that, it wasn't perhaps as high up mm. Arsenal's agenda as it might have been. Um, I think the club were pretty confident they would get this done, but there wasn't necessarily a huge rush to get it done. Do you think we as fans were more anxious about it than the club were or the manager were, you know, internally because of all the the stuff that was going on with with Aston Villa as well because yeah. they were bidding and, you know, um it, it's just part and parcel of the the transfer cycle that I think we as fans tend to believe or or place more credibility, I should say, in stories which we don't like. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. true. It's like, you know, this terrible thing could happen. Oh, my God, it's almost certain to happen, you know, and, and stuff that seems far-fetched, um, you know, is, isn't quite as credible. So, you know, that was I, more of an issue for us maybe than it was for, for him or the club itself. Yeah, I think that's true. But I do think the Aston Villa interest accelerated the talks with Smith Rowe, mm. um, probably put a few quid on the contract too, Nevertheless, I think it's really good news. I mean, you know, we're all in a place where we're kind of not quite sure what to think about Arsenal's direction at the present time. But I do think, if you look over the last couple of years, the, the substantial new long-term contracts for the likes of mm. Bukayo Saka, Gabriel Martinelli, uh, Balogun, mm. you have to say, was convinced to stay, Smith Rowe now... That is um, a building block of some sort, and it is something that I think fans are going to rally behind. Uh, and I think, you know, Smith Rowe was so important to the team last season. It's, you know, his in his individual quality is one thing, and you know, clearly he's got bags of it. And even against, even in this uh, friendly against Millwall, you could see him. It's particularly the positions he takes up on the pitch that make him so useful so dangerous he plays mm. through the middle but you see him on both flanks but I think it's what he contributes to the team more widely and you know when you look at our form pre-Christmas and post-Christmas and what is the major sort of differential between those two teams it really was the introduction of Smith Rowe mm. um, it's not to credit him solely for it but I think he did have a huge huge impact so yeah. very pleased was never worried about Aston Villa but nonetheless I'm glad it's done He's obviously delighted. Uh, Mikel Arteta seems delighted. Yeah. And the fans are delighted. So, yeah, it seems like a big win. Yeah, it's a good news story. Um, you know, and at a time where we're looking for as much good news as we can get, it's certainly one to to get behind. Now, the, mm. the 10 number, I think this is really interesting. I like that he asked for the number. I, thought, I think Mikel Arteta's um, comments were interesting, too. He said he asked for the number 10 shirt, so that shows you the ambition and desire. He said, I prefer players who ask for more than maybe they can take, but if they believe they can do it, don't put a num or don't put a limit on it. When he asked me and asked the club he would like to get the number, uh, I said, okay, let's go. We talked a little bit, we discussed it, and he knows the consequences of that, but he feels prepared to do it, and if he's prepared to do it, I'm going to be right behind him to try and make him as comfortable and as happy as possible to do what he wants to do so <clears throat> i i think there is emerging from Mikel arteta in in some ways 
how do you put that? I think he does feel a bit protective of some of the young players. In, yeah. In that, you know, people will say, well, look, he doesn't play Martinelli enough. And he said similar things about Martinelli. It's, it's also quite similar with the Saliba thing in that his... It feels to me, maybe it's a little bit of fear on his part in that he doesn't want them to experience things which might damage their development and their potential. You know mm. what I mean? Um, which yeah, is- I mean, that's the most generous... Um, mm. most, well, not generous, but I think one of the most interesting readings of the Saliba situation. You know, I've never heard that suggested before, really. But what if he thinks, if I drop this guy in the Premier League tomorrow... I think he basically it, it, said it that. A problem for him. He basically he basically said that about Saliba, in the sense that uh, I'd have to dig up the quotes, but I'm ninety nine percent sure he said something along the lines of, you know, we have to remember he's just nineteen, whatever he mm. was, um, and it may damage him, you know, to come into the first team and not be ready. Um, oh God, I'm going to have to dig them up while we're talking, but. Um, but the reason I say that's interesting is simply because mm. I don't think the common perception is that Arteta is protecting Saliba. Do you know what I mean? Certainly, no, that's no, not no. What I get I, on social media. Yeah, and that's yeah. I, I get that. I think I have them here. Do I have them? Um, boom, boom, boom. I want to protect the player. Is what he said about Saliba. Mm. Um, boom, boom, boom. Let me see. I want to protect the player that we signed and the future we have alongside him. Um, yeah, he's talking about his loan to Nice. Mm. You know, he said the best way to do that is to give him minutes and play him. And that's on loan. But, you know, if the best way to give him minutes uh, or to develop him is to give him minutes and play him, you could make the argument that why can't we do that? You know what I mean? That maybe it's a, yeah. it's it's yeah. overly cautious. But, I mean, do you, what do you think about the, the comments on Smith Rowe in the sense that he knows the consequences of that? Do you, do you feel like... You know, particularly at Arsenal and Arsenal right now, given that we lack creativity, the number 10, there is a weight of expectation. There's a weight in that number because it's it's Dennis Bergkamp, it's Jack Wilshire, it's Mesut Ozil, you know, players who... Gallas. Don't know, never heard of him. <laughs> um, you know, that they have this... this status because they got the number 10 shirt because they could do what we wanted a number 10 to do and we're not quite sure if Smith Rowe is going to be able to to do it I mean I I think he's a a, a hugely talented young player but he is still 20 um you know yeah how do you how do you read it do you think it's a it's a positive thing for Smith Rowe he obviously doesn't feel phased by the by the number he wanted it so it shows, like Arteta says, it does show ambition and and desire to become that figure at Arsenal to follow in some very, very famous footsteps. Yeah, I love the ambition of it. I have to say, I love that he's like, well, I want to be the number mm. 10 and I want to be it for 10 years or, or longer. I think that's fantastic. And I think, um, you know, that's the kind of fearlessness of youth as well in him, probably just thinking, well, why not? You know, what an opportunity, what an honour mm. to wear that shirt. Arteta, being slightly more experienced, slightly older, is probably looking at both sides of it. But overall, I think it's a, a really positive move. I know some people go, oh, shit, does this mean we're not going to sign a, 
and number 10, and maybe we'll get mm. onto that as a discussion. But I, I think that having, you know, squad numbers don't matter, right? They don't really matter. But having Bukayo Saka as your number seven, having Emil Smith-Rowe as your number 10, and, and having these two guys in your first team mm. kind of week in, week out, I do think does send quite a message. And I, I do think that... <laughs> Arsenal's problem for a long time, or certainly in recent history, has been making a lot of very short-term decisions and then not getting results, and that the un- the unhappiness that that engenders. Mm. And I do think that kind of saying, "Look, this nineteen-year-old, twenty-year-old guy's our number ten. We've got another teenager who's our number seven. These are crucial parts of this team's development." I do think that, along with signing players who are, mm. you know, between kind of 19 and 23, it does just sort of create that idea of a project in a much more holistic, satisfying way. And I think I think more fans, not all fans, but more fans are prepared to kind of buy into that and maybe give it a little mm. bit more patience than they otherwise would. Yeah, I mean, I... I tend to agree with that. I think if you can see, you know, that there is a a definite plan or a strategy, then it is yeah. much easier to get behind. I mean, you could look at, I mean, even if you go back and you you look at some of the signings that we made when Emery took over, mm-hmm. like there was a plan in a sense, right? There was logic could be applied to the signings. Like Socrates was a, an experienced center half to give us a bit of that. Licksteiner, an experienced backup to Bellerin, who was never going to play that much. Torreira, who's your young um, central midfielder. Genduzi, another young central midfielder. I can't remember who else we signed. Uh, Leno. Yeah, Leno, like a, a mid-20s goalkeeper. Sort of made sense, right? But mm. there was, I think, at the heart of it, mm, it was sticking plaster stuff, in a way. Yeah, it was kind of filling in the gaps. Yeah, you know? yeah. And now the gap is so big, we have to rebuild the wall. So if you can rebuild the wall in a way that people can can get behind. And yeah, look at the, the, the age profiles of a lot of the players in the squad, the ones that we're going to count on, for example, you know, you think of um, Gabriel at center half, Ben White, when he comes in, is 23 years of age, mm, Kieran Tierney, 24, Smith Rowe, 20, Saka, 19, Martinelli, 20, um, who am I forgetting here? I can't remember. You know, Balagoon is is nineteen, twenty years of age. You're starting to build a squad, which you know, all going well. Not all of it will, but hopefully, if enough of it goes well, we'll be together and grow together and develop together. And then you've got you know some experience in the shape of Pepe, who's twenty six, Partey's twenty eight, Aubameyang's thirty two. So you do have that bit of experience. But what you're building is a a much younger core group around which you can then, you know, add experience or bring in some younger players as well. And we've seen the two signings that have come in, both twenty one. Mm-hmm. You know, we've we've mentioned it before that the the age profile of most of the players that we have we've been linked with credibly this summer is somewhere between twenty and twenty three, twenty four years of age, and that's kind of it. So you can see that there is a plan there, and I do think that if people can see a plan, whether it works or not, they're 
I think you're right to say there will be a bit more patience. It's not to say everybody's going to agree with it and there are going to be people whose uh, opinions on the manager and the technical director are, are set in stone and, you know, there's nothing you can do about that. But if you see the club trying at least to operate in a way which makes sense after what we've been through and the way we have operated in the past, I think you do get you do get a bit more time from people, yeah. I think so. And I think as well, it's kind of more sustainable. I mean, let's say things do go really badly wrong for the manager. If you've got a a young group of players who are developing over the next five years, then probably it requires less of an overhaul when a new guy comes in. It's not like you're just trying to fix problems in the short term for this guy. I mean, Smith Rowe is going to be a useful player for any manager over the duration of that contract. Mm. So, yeah, I, I think it's a really good move and I think the club are right to lean into their emphasis on young developing talent mm. and I think the shirt number although it's something he asked for I think granting it to him kind of signifies a willingness to lean into that do you think it also signifies his particular place in the team if you like you know what I mean so giving somebody your number 10 shirt you know, certain numbers have weight, whether you like it or not, you know, whether you think a number matters or it doesn't matter, certain numbers have weight, like number one, or, uh, you know, the number nine has got to be a striker. And with that number comes a weight of expectation, but also, you know, from the player himself, if you're the number nine at a club like Arsenal, you know, you expect to be starting games. Similarly with number 10, do you think it suggests um, where he is in the in the pecking order to an extent, or do you think that is something that, that will still be relatively fluid given his, I suppose, relative inexperience as well, you know, at 20 years of age, he's had a a half season really for Arsenal um, with the loan spell at Huddersfield and, and, you know, some previous experience when he was a bit younger, you know, do you expect him to be a mainstay? Like one of like Saka is a first name on the team sheet player when he's fit even though he's 19. Mm. Do you think that's going to be the case with Smith Rowe? I think he was approaching that at times last season. Even when he wasn't first choice as the number 10, he invariably found his way into the team, you mm. know, usually on the left-hand side. And I think, you know, he was, to borrow the phrase that Arsene Wenger used about Robert Pires, kind of the oil in the engine of our attack yeah. a lot of the time last season. And I think that, he'll likely remain that. I think whether or not another number 10 comes in, I still see him playing an awful lot of games and probably our most important games. And I think something I said last week is I do wonder if, you know, the acceleration of giving him that new contract, probably the slight wage hike they gave on what they were hoping to give him due to Aston Villa's interest. I do wonder if that slightly changes the conversation about the kind of attacking midfielder you might bring in alongside him you know because Mm. I think it does become about being alongside rather than ahead of at this point Um, and it's a tricky one it's a tricky one to balance out I think between you know who's a player who can dovetail with Smith Rowe without kind of damaging his Mm. development in any way that is yeah it is a tricky one because you want him to play you want him to develop you've made the investment in in him in terms of his contract you've signaled your your belief in him by giving him the number 10 but at the Mm. same time I don't think you can burden 
a 20-year-old, even if we only have 38 Premier League games next season, we, we hopefully will have uh, a good few cup games to get uh, under our belt. But even so, even in the course of just 38 Premier League games, I don't think you can put that weight of responsibility, that creative responsibility on him or him alone, not simply because you know, it might be too much for him or physically it might be too much for him. But just from a practical point of view, there are going to be games where it doesn't happen for him. Mm. As with every player, there are going to be periods perhaps in the season where he has a little dip in form or a little dip in confidence. And we know how significant that can be for any player, whether they're 20, 20 or not. So you need like an alternative. You know, you wouldn't go into a season with just one striker. Because if that guy dries up in front of goal, you're fucked. So the same kind of thing applies to a player in his position, that you need, as you say, someone who can dovetail with him, but you also need uh, an alternative or, you know, someone who can come off the bench. Uh, Maybe we have a player like that in the squad in Bukayo Saka as well, and and that's that's a potential option. But at the same time, I do think it's going to be part of the the conversation between now and the end of the transfer window. What I would say, and I think I said this on Friday, is I think Smithrow gives you time to push that signing out to the end of the window. His is yes. not, it's not it's not like the central midfield situation where I think that signing needs to happen as soon as possible. Yeah, there are, there are situations where Arsenal needs someone in before the start of the season. You know, I would say, for example, Arsenal needs some sort of second goalkeeper, I think, mm. uh, pretty urgently. Mm. So that's one. But but with the number 10, I agree this makes it a bit less pressing and maybe it gives them the chance. We've spoken a lot about Mikel Arteta's admiration for Martin Odegaard mm. and how... You know, he is a player who's shown he can play with Smith Rowe. And there have been reports, I think, in the Norwegian press this weekend about, I mean, nothing, you know, tabloid tittle-tattle, but, oh, he looks disconnected from the squad in training and doesn't look happy and that kind of thing. I I do, you know, despite all the signs, I still wonder if there may be life in that one towards the end of the window. And I wonder if having Smith Rowe might afford Arsenal the opportunity to kind of wait and see. Yeah, I agree. I think there will be an element of that. Um, But just going back to the the other one, I mean, the squad as it's done, we've got some questions actually on this. So maybe we'll, maybe we'll do that in the, the questions bit, will we? Okay. Because there's been some questions about incomings and outgoings and transfers and, and all of that stuff. Um, yeah, so we'll do that in, in part two. Is there anything else you want to touch on with regards to Smith Rowe or, or any no, other, I think, any I other think Arsenal business? Covered it off. Uh, I, I, I think everything else we'll probably cover in the questions, won't we? All right, we will. Okay, we'll take a short break. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog. Also on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. I'm going to go first. James, kick this one off mm. with a question from Chesney McGrath, who's at Chesney535. And he says, why have we not signed anyone that would be a guaranteed starter? Hashtag Cronky out. Well, I'm assuming he's not including Ben White in that um, because I think he will be a guaranteed starter. But we haven't signed him yet. But we haven't signed him. But technically, technically, he's correct. Yeah. He is, 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 they could discover, touch wood they don't, in the medical that his knee is made of, I don't know, jelly or something. Mm. But other than that, I think... Will be that great. would not preclude Arsenal Football Club from signing the player. If anything, it would make him perfect for the club. But uh, nevertheless, have we not signed anyone? So we've signed Tavares mm-hmm. and Laconga thus far. And we've signed a young striker. You reported yes. over the weekend from, from Fulham, an 18-year-old who, I'm sorry, he's had a, he's had a hard life on his face. Mm. Does not look 18. No, he looks a bit like Mark Poom. I don't know if anyone remembers Mark Poom. Oh, yeah. But he's got a bit of a... Mika Biareth is his name. Actually quite an interesting signing in that he was the top scorer in... The under-18s Premier League is divided into kind of north and south. Mm. He was top scorer for Fulham, who won the Southern Division. He scored 21 goals in 21 games in those fixtures. 13 assists in a very free-scoring Fulham, excellent Fulham team. Uh, he was offered pro terms at Fulham uh, more than once, including quite a good offer in the summer, and he's turned that down to join Arsenal. I would imagine he will go 
I think he's too old for the under-18s now, so I think mm. he'll go straight into the under-23s. Nikolai Muller, who was kind of leading the line for the under-23s last season, is going out on loan to the German third division. Um, and so I imagine he'll sort of replace Balogun, probably, yeah. as the kind of under-23s front man. But it was interesting talking about that because, you know, there are a number of quite promising strikers at Arsenal. Obviously, in the first team setup, we talk about... Um, you know, Martinelli and Balogun, but you look beyond that. Muller did all right last season. You've got this guy, Beareth. There's a couple of others in the academy whose names escape me right now who are quite highly rated. Mm. And uh, although it might seem a bit like overkill, actually, if you think about it, having strikers is kind of the most valuable commodity you can have in football. I mean, yeah. if they don't work out, they probably have the highest transfer value if they've got a reputation as a goal scorer. So... Seems like a bit of a no-lose, really, to kind of collect as many young, young strikers as you can. And even if they never make the first team, they might bring in a few quid down the line. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But in terms of the first team setup, um, I mean, Eddie and Ketch is one, for example, that we're hoping to get some money out of this summer. Mm. But uh, yes, it's correct. We've not yet signed a first team player. Does that concern you? Um, like, where are you on the, like, as your little concernometer, you know, the closer you get to the start of the season, obviously, the more you want your squad to be settled and you want, yeah. you know, the, the issues to be addressed. So if it's just tipping away at the bottom with now, what, three weeks, under mm. three weeks, in fact, to the start of the season, to our first game away at Brentford, um, you know, where are you on that? What would make you feel, I'm not going to say more confident because I don't know how confident you are as it stands, but what would make you feel like, what would need to happen for you going into that first game for you to let the rest of it play out over the course of the window, like up, up to deadline day? Because I do think that there is going to be a lot of business done towards the end of the window simply because of the 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 dynamics of the window itself the market the the financial situation we're in clubs having to make decisions to compromise to say well maybe we didn't really want to you know bring that guy in or sell that guy but like we we've got to do something you know those things are going to drive a, a a measure of business so what would make you feel okay about like heading towards that chaos well so i am pretty relaxed actually like i am not too stressed out i think what would change that is if i think the central midfield one is 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 mm. the most interesting because you know at, at, at the present time granite Xhaka is still very much an arsenal player um if that changed suddenly I would be concerned uh, about having a replacement for him. You know, I, we had a few questions from people about Lukonga actually, mm. sort of saying, you know, is he ready to kind of step up and, and play in the first team? Is he someone who could come into the first team straight away? And I, I have to say, uh, you know, for example, Saka, you out on the Discord says, after watching the Millwall game, what do you think about a Lukonga party partnership against teams that sit back in defence against us? I mean, I think he was encouraging um, against Millwall, sorry, but I don't think 
I think that would be an awful big mantle to say you're our starting central midfielder straight away. Coming straight out of the Belgian league, mm. he's 21 years old. I'm not sure that would be the right decision. No, I think pretty much everybody that uh, I've spoken to about him, um, and I spoke to uh, the Belgian Pro League commentator for Eurosport uh, on the Arscast on Friday, people will have heard mm. it. You know, th- his opinion is that. Um, you know, he's a good young player, but, you know, is going to take a bit of time to settle in and develop. Mm. And, and and that's normal, I think. So I would be with you in the sense that I think Jack is going to go. I think it's pretty inevitable he's going to go. I don't think he's going to be involved with us, you know, in preseason. I don't see him coming back. Do you? I mean, feels like, well, I, I, like he should be back like- now, right? Surely he he should be back now like if Kieran uh, Tierney was back last week why wouldn't Xhaka be back now I know Switzerland went a little further in the Euros but he must have had his holiday at this point so yeah I think I think um, they did progress to the knockout so maybe that's mm. part of it also obviously there was a Covid scare at the, so that might have slowed people coming back a little bit I don't know I mean the only thing I think about Xhaka is like what if the bid never gets any better like uh, that, you know, if there were reports mm. in Italy this morning saying, um, you know, there's or, or actually, I think they were in the English press, maybe in the mail or something, saying, you know, it, the bid is kind of stuck where it is and doesn't seem to be uh, improving. I've spoke to a contact in Italy, a journalist who said, yeah, you know, for the present time, it kind of is where it is and they want to make Arsenal sit on it. Arsenal, as far as I know, are not in a hurry to sell the player for less than the value that they have placed on him mm. they deem very important I don't know I just wonder what happens if if it never gets better if it never gets to the point where we feel we can accept the bid I guess you yeah. can keep him I guess uh, I mean it, it, you know but then you sort of got the contract situation of two years out and you've got uh, a player who has probably in his own mind anyway checked out to an extent, you know, or, or wants a move. I mean, I think part of this is because Xhaka wants a move. Of course, definitely. Right? But we, so, we know about him, I think, that he can want that no, and no, no, I'm, yeah. produce performance. I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about that aspect of it. I don't think he mm. would just be like, um, you know, down tools or anything like that. But I think it's not an ideal situation for, for a manager to have a player who had his heart set on a move and it doesn't happen. You know, I think yeah, that's a yeah. that's a difficult one, but I think the, the the central midfield is where I would like to see the signing. That's the one that I think everything else we can kind of cope with. I think is is the way I would put it. We can cope until the end of the window. It doesn't mean that we we don't have other things to do because very obviously we do. But I think if we go into the first bunch of games of the season what is it maybe three games before there's an international break is it three Mm -hmm. or four i don't know maybe four but if we if we go into that with our central midfield sorted with that mythical party partner in there and ready to go and you know fit and healthy and you know set to go from the off then i would feel more confident about um, the team as it is it feels like that's a weakness even with Lokonga and I know we've got El Elneny um, who's perfectly serviceable but maybe you need more than serviceable 
if you want to get off to a good start to the season. Definitely. I think if you didn't, if you felt that you weren't able to be picking Shaka mm. and you didn't have another player in there, I think we'd be in trouble. I do worry about that for sure. Um, I know we got some steady performances out of Elneny at times last season. And I know Lukonga's a promising player, but I think we need more in that mm. area of the pitch. I'll be fascinated to see, basically, if Roma's bid for Shaka doesn't dramatically increase and they look to play it out until the end of the window. I'll be very curious to see how Mikel Arteta plays that. Mm. Whether or not he goes, well, this player's on the way out the door, therefore we won't use him. Or whether he has to be more pragmatic and say, "Yeah, sorry, Granite, you know, you've got to play. Because I think looking at the collection of midfielders that we actually own and that are part of the club, mm. God only knows where Lucas Torreira is, by the way, on that front. Um He's on holidays, I, according to his Instagram. So, ah, okay, there you go. But I think, um, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see whether or not Shaka gets kind of roped into those yeah. first few games. But yeah, that's the area. I mean, the, we had a lot of questions about right back today. Yeah, um, it's coming a bit of a theme of the window, isn't it? Have you got one there? I've got a couple here. If you want me to go through them, yeah. I mean, Little Chili, who's at Takar seventy five, says, "Let's talk about right back. Assuming Bellerin is sold, do you think we can make do with Chambers and Cedric?" We've had a left side bias in the past. Um, yeah, and then other questions, you know, Ashley Birkinshaw, does it terrify you that Cedric might be our starting right back? Jack Porter, if Bellerin leaves, how comfortable would you be as Chambers as first choice? Lots of questions about mm. right backs. Yeah, we had one on the Discord as well from David the Sky. Do you think we can risk selling Bellerin and not fill the position with a new player relying on Chambers and Cedric, given we're not playing in Europe and have fewer games this season? Like... Given the options we have right now, mm. let's let's make the hypothetical that Hector leaves, that there's a deal yeah. done for him, whatever kind of deal it might be, where Inter Milan pay us 50p a week for the next seven trillion years, <laughs> yeah. whatever it is they're trying to do. Um, they pay us for every tree Bellerin saves, something like that. Wow. A lot of tree-related add-ons. Could be the most lucrative transfer of all time because Hector loves trees, as we know. Exactly. Um, so let's say you've got in the squad, you've got Callum Chambers, you've got Cedric. You also have Ainsley Maitland-Niles as well. Let's yeah. say a right-back signing doesn't happen before the, the opening game of the season. Who would be your choice to start? Oh, there's no doubt in my mind it would be Chambers at, at the present time. Mm. I think he's the best that we've got. Um, Does that not, with all due respect to him, and I think he's been solid in that position for us, does that not say something about our need for a player in that position? Because like, Maybe. I, mean, I, I saw a story... He's been pretty good, though. I think he has been pretty good, but I also think... I also think that... Um, if you want to improve, I don't know if you're going to get it from a guy. Like, it's not, I don't think signing a right back is going to be the difference between European football and not European football next season. Mm. But, yeah, I mean, I would much prefer Chambers to Cedric. Yes. Much prefer it. And I saw, I can't remember who was talking about it over the weekend, that Cedric is in line to to start the opening game of the season because he's been so impressive in pre-season. I'm thinking, like, fucking hell. 
I'd be very surprised if yeah, that was the case. I would too. Um, but, you know, even even that says plenty, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, is a right-back signing, is it an urgent thing for you? Is it is it one that, let's say we bring in the attacking midfielder and we bring in the party partner, and again, with a hypothetical, let's say we we, in inverted commas, go big on those two signings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you think right back is an area that has to be addressed before this uh, before this transfer window ends? Or is it an area that we can, you know, go into the season with the players that we have? I think in a bind we could sort of make do with what we've got. I don't think it's ideal. But, you know, one factor in this is, you know, we know one of the targets for that position is a guy called Tyler Adams at Leipzig, and it's going to be very difficult to get him this summer. Mm. There may be other targets in that position that it's difficult to get this summer. I think if you if there was a player who is the right player, but we have to wait a year for them, I think we can get by. We're certainly not short of numbers in that area of the pitch, um, we've even spoken about Ben White as someone who's played there in the past. I don't think that would be a regular thing at all, but in, a, in an emergency. And I think Chambers ticks quite a few boxes for Arteta. I know he's not perfect. It's really funny, isn't it? You know, when players have a good run, sometimes the perception of it is different. Like mm. Joe Willock has a really good six months and we go, yeah, but that's just that's just a, a run mm. and then Emil Smith-Rowe has a really good six months and we're like yeah he'll do that forever and Chambers I guess it's somewhere in the middle he, I think he had a I think he had a really strong second half to the season but we're still like is, is that maintainable mm. can he improve I know I don't know the answer but he's of the options we have maybe even including Bellerin I think he's the one who showed the most last season um so yeah, I think I think my conclusion is basically I would like a new right back, but if on the list of priorities, it's probably below certain other positions, and I'm I'm starting to wonder if it will be doable mm. in this window. What if it's um What if it's a case of um affordability rather than desire or a you know, the fact that we, you know, look at our score and go, well, that'll do. What if we just can't afford that? We had a question here about about money uh, from Matt Gooner on the Discord. He said, transfer rumours suggest we're going to spend quite a bit of money this summer, but we've lost a lot of money over the last season. There's no clear indication where the funds are coming from. Do you think it's possible KSE are forwarding money from next summer's budget under the proviso that it's mostly spent on young players who will be ready to go next season, hopefully limiting how much business needs to be done in a year's time? He said, I'm not basing any of this on rumours. I'm just trying to figure out where the money uh, might be coming from yeah I, I don't know enough about the ins and outs but I think it's unlikely that it's as literal as that I suspect mm. um, presumably the club is borrowing this money from somewhere um, because you know they're finding significant amounts of cash or making substantial commitments to deals I don't think this will be about money because I, I think if Bellerin goes it will probably be for a, 
a, a decent fee. Not, you know, crazy money, but like the club would like 20 million. It would have to be getting close to that. And I would think their intended replacement might be in that ballpark too. So I don't think that that's hugely the issue here. I, I, I've, mm. ne- I've not felt any point in this window like, oh, Arsenal are going to run out of money. It, it genuinely feels like they have made a commitment to do the business they need to do to avoid last season mm. happening again. Um, whether, how that would play out over the coming years, it really depends on Arsenal's success, doesn't it? I mean, if Arsenal get back in the Champions League next season, then the budget will be very different. Mm. Um, so it's almost impossible to know. It's kind of a bet that the owners and the club are placing on the success of these deals over the coming years. But I do think, it, you know, clearly there's a directive to sign younger players to protect those values. I mean, they're not going to go out and pay... 30, 40 million for people approaching 30 because, you know, that's money they won't get back and they've done that too much. Mm. But it, what do you think about the right-back one? I think ideally you would get someone in. Mm. Definitely. The reality or the practical side of it, though, is that you've got still in the squad four right-backs or four players who can play right-back. Bellerin, Maitland-Niles, um, Chambers and Cedric. Mm. So to get one player in and somebody who, you know, let's say is the, the right-sided Kieran Tierney, that's what we're looking for, right? That's what we're, mm-hmm. we're looking for, a player who can come in and be that. You've got to get rid of at least two of those. And Maitland-Niles is only kind of an option at right back. Mm. So it means you're going to have to get rid of Bellerin and you're probably going to have to get rid of Cedric or Chambers, one or the other of those. And I think Chambers is better than Cedric, so that would be that would be the wrong move, I think. But the reality of it is Cedric has a three year another three years on his contract. And that makes him maybe more difficult to move at twenty nine years of age unless we're you know, working hard behind the scenes to try and shuffle him on somewhere else. But I don't think he came from Southampton to Arsenal and signed a four-year deal taking a pay cut. Um, so I think that is, in some ways, it's a it's a problem. It's an obstacle to moving on Cedric, if you were that way inclined. So I have a feeling that our business will be elsewhere. Like at this point, I think I would be surprised if we signed a right back. Mm. I still think it's a possibility. I still think there's a decent chance, but I do think that the sooner Mm. somebody leaves, the more plausible that becomes. I don't see them adding a fifth right back, basically. No, that would be Uh, crazy. I think they're really keen to avoid what happened last season with the registration issue and that leaving them with players who essentially had no value because they were omitted from competition. Um, I think they're really keen to avoid that happening again. It was very disruptive and very bad for morale. Mm. So I think, you know, when we talk about this kind of next set of signings, I do think some players need to go before others can arrive. I think that's particularly true at right back. Yeah. And I wonder if that may be true 
uh, regarding Shaka as well. As well. Mm, okay, here's a question from Not Cameron in the Discord. Will we ever sell anyone? Uh, Sonny Cool also on the Discord says, while we've done well transferring players surplus to requirements over the last year, do you worry that we still have Kalasinac, Torreira, Nelson, and even Willian, Inkedia, etc., etc.? At what point do you start getting concerned that we're not selling some of the players we need to sell, in part, perhaps, to finance some of the deals that we need to bring in? Yeah, yeah I, I think it is... Um unfortunate for Arsenal that they're sort of trying to go through a heavy rebuild in a summer where no one's got any money. Mm. Um, I mean, there is a benefit to that. You know, potentially you can use that to your advantage if you are able to spend. But who have we sold so far? Mavropanos basically sold, although he's on loan technically. Yeah. Doozy the same, right? Um, That's pretty much it. Mm. Uh, You look at the list... I mean, you know, Joe Willock obviously is is one that we would expect revenue for. Granite Shaka, Hector Bellerin, maybe Lucas Torreira. I mean, I have to be honest with Lucas Torreira. I've slightly given up on the idea that we'll get a decent fee for him. Yeah, um, I mean, with a question. Yeah, I kind of have a question from Sean Fitzgerald, who's Sean's gone wild at Sean's gone wild on Twitter, who says there's been zero talk of Lucas Torreira that I've seen, positive or negative. What do you think happens with him, and what are the chances he has any role to play for us in red, uh, red and white next season? You know, where does he want to go? He wants, you know, he uh, talked about going back. Possible, yeah, probably. he talked about going close to home. But I think there's probably, you know, an understanding there that that you know, as much as he might want that, given everything that's happened to him, the reality of of that kind of deal happening is unlikely because of you know just the financial disparity between um, what we would want for him and what it would cost for a club in South America to take him. Then there's Italy, and pretty much every club in Italy is is trying to do deals, you know, all these loans with obligations to buy or, you know, you know, um, yeah, pay-as-you-go kind of stuff. Um, so where does that leave him? And, you know, he's not involved. He's not in training at the moment. He's on his holidays after the Copa America. Do you expect him back at Arsenal? Do, you know, is he going to come back and start training? I and mean, he is obliged contractually to do that, same as Shaka, I guess, as and when their mm. official holidays are over. So, you know, what we think of as a bloated squad already is is even more so if he returns. So, yeah, I mean, I I kind of think the likeliest outcome with him is some sort of loan deal. Um, mm almost as a kind of compassionate exercise, you know, of just granting him the opportunity to be where he wants to be. I just feel like his stock as a player has dramatically declined. Um, he obviously has been through a lot of personal issues as well. He, he lost his mother. I think that he, he's on very good terms with Edu and Arteta. It's not like there was ever a fallout or anything like that. Mm. And when he went to Atletico, I think there were quotes from Edu at the time saying, you know, we wanted to find a solution that was good for Lucas and we, you know, keeping a close eye on him. I just feel like we'll get something similar this time around. It, I know that he was very happy in Madrid as well. Uh, and if the opportunity came to go back there, I think he'd be up for that. But I'm not sure how. But he didn't play, he though. I mean, he, he barely no, played only 600 minutes of um action in La Liga and most of those yeah. are sort of late subs in games so you know it hasn't done his stock as a player any good really uh, I mean no. he won the title there and he'll be you know obviously very happy about that but in terms of playing time he can't be that 
pleased with how that that loan move went. I'm sure Arsenal aren't either. If he'd you know played all the all the games for Atletico Madrid, we'd be talking about a much more valuable asset if we can talk about players in those terms. Yeah, and actually, I know there were people kind of on both sides of the divide who almost felt like um, Atleti were trying to drive his value down. Mm. Um, I don't think personally there's any truth in that. It just seemed to me they didn't really want to pick him. But yeah, I, I you know, for a player who cost us over 20 million quid or whatever it was, 25, something like that, mm. I don't think we can realistically expect anything close to that. Um, so yeah, I am a bit worried about the sales more generally. I still hold out hope that it's the younger English players who will bring in the revenue. And I'm looking at Joe Willock, potentially Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Eddie Nketiah, Reese Nelson. I still think we'll do okay out of those guys. Um, maybe that's wishful thinking, but I'm more confident I am of that than I am of, say, Torreira. Sure. You know? I think, you know, going back to what we were talking about with Smith-Rowe, and the how relatively uncomplicated that was when we're thinking about selling players this summer, young, homegrown English players, some of whom have contracts which are favorable to a buying club, are probably the easiest ones that we can do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we will look to extract maximum value from them. But, you know, the market suggests, doesn't it, that there is money out there for these players. We talked about the, the, the guy who went from Chelsea to Crystal Palace. You yeah, know? I mean, H- Harry Wilson left Liverpool, I think, for 12 million quid uh, yesterday. He went to Fulham. Uh, he's a young winger from Liverpool, 12 million pounds. I mean, by Liverpool standards, it's not huge revenue. He's 24. But, you know, that shows there is money around mm. for homegrown talent. Um, you'd like to think Arsenal could kind of capitalise on that. And, and I do think, you know, in terms of outgoings, Bellerin and, La- uh, Bellerin and Shaka are still fairly plausible departures. Mm. And you would have some, you know, you'd hope to have a bit of change out of those two. But, yeah, I mean, someone's got to come up with the money. Yeah, and then you get to the ones which are really difficult. There are some well, really I mean, difficult ones. I mean, Lacazette. Yeah, there's a question here, Mr. GCL, Georges Lambrou, who said, do you think that signing Tammy Abraham would be a significant enough upgrade on Lacazette to quote to justify the quoted 35 to 40 million fee we'd potentially have to pay? And, and basically, I think secondary to that question is how plausible is a Lacazette sale right now? Well, that's it. There literally hasn't been any reported interest in him, which isn't to say there isn't, but the transfer rumour mill is pretty widespread and I don't think I've heard one rumour involving Lacazette. No, so I haven't either. I think at this point, at this point, I don't see him going anywhere and I think that then precludes any other kind of striker signing. You know? Yeah, I think that's the one. I mean, you know, people say, well, is going to go... Um, I wrote last week. I, I, I think without Lacazette going, there won't be a new striker. This no. window. Would you? I mean, let's say, let's say it's thirty million for Tammy Abraham. Would you sell? You know, if it was Lacazette for twelve, fifteen million somewhere, and Tammy Abraham for thirty million, would you do it? Uh, I, I think I probably would. 
I'm not convinced that Tammy Abraham is the kind of quality to be Arsenal's starting centre forward in every game for the next five years. I mean, he could be, he's got potential and he might get better. What does your brother think of him? My brother thinks, uh, who's a Chelsea season ticket holder, if you're not aware, Mm. that he's a good player, but probably not quite there. Probably not quite the sort of top level quality that Chelsea would require from that position. Bear in mind, they're competing for Premier Leagues and they won the Champions League Mm. last year. Um, But that is his take. Good player, but maybe not the very top level. And, And I think based on what I've seen... That makes a degree of sense. But do I think a player like that could be a very valuable squad member to Arsenal over the next five years? Mm. Very possibly. I mean, I've seen people say of Tammy Abraham, they get Welbeck vibes off him as that as if that's a real negative. But I'd argue Danny Welbeck was a pretty useful player for us, you know? Um, albeit a stylistically different one. He, mm. While he wasn't Thierry Henry, he played a lot of games and contributed in a way that was generally positive when he was fit. When he was fit, yeah. I mean, I think his yeah. his big issue was um, was fitness, he was obviously. Fit. Yeah. What do you think about Abraham? I said this the other day. I just have such trauma about signing players from Chelsea. Players. From Chelsea. Um, like, Bol Bol Sima on Twitter says, name all the players we bought from Chelsea in the Premier League era. Now, out of those players, name one player who made it at Arsenal. And I think I called it masochistic the other day, and he tends to agree with that contention. I can see the logic in it, though. I could see the logic. Like, if if you could get money for Lacazette, and some of that money could then offset the fee that you would pay for Abraham... I think what Chelsea want from him is a bit too much. But, you know, he does have a good goal-scoring record for a player, a striker yeah, of his does. age. You know, he, he's he got some goal-scoring pedigree. So He scored I, goals from a really young age yeah. in the championship. I mean... Like a 25-goal season for... Was it Aston Villa or... Yeah, Aston Villa. Somebody. And I think maybe he was at Bristol before that mm. and was very good. I mean, he's, he has always scored goals and he has scored goals in the Chelsea mm. team as well. Uh, so you can't knock his record... I think stylistically he's quite interesting because he's something different yep. to what we've got. Um, you know, he's a bit bigger, he's better in the air. Um, he, you know, he's a super athletic guy. Um, yeah, it's an intriguing. One. I see the logic, but it, it surely has to depend on on Lacazette and what you can do it with does. Lacazette. Because, like you say, like I say, get some money for Lacazette. It goes some way to offset what you pay for Abraham. You've got a striker who's, what, 24 years of age? You've got a striker mm-hmm. who's um, 32 years of age in Aubameyang. I do think the gap between Aubameyang and Balagoon is too big. I agree. You know, so I, you need somebody else in there. No, I yeah. don't think so either. As promising as Balagoon is, I mean, he's never played a minute in the Premier League, which isn't to say I don't think he can he can contribute next season. I think he can. But if you're talking about um, a team that doesn't score enough goals, you can't have that big of a gap between your, I, I don't even mean in age, I just mean in experience between your strikers and hope to I, I address so. that, that problem. So, on that basis, I can see why you could make a good case for Tammy Abraham. Um, but it's just hard for me to look at a Chelsea player and 
not be traumatized by what's come before. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, even the ones that should have been good signings haven't been, you know, like mm. we did quite well to sneak Lasana Diara away from them and then he left after six months. Yeah. And William Gallas, when he arrived, was a top-class central defender and never really produced that at mm. Arsenal. And, you know, obviously ones like William and Louise are kind of their own category, but and there even, is a... Even Czech, you know, was yeah. fine, but like pretty underwhelming. Yes, and was a player on the way down, you know, at that point. Um, yeah. He effectively, effectively had been replaced as number one at Chelsea by Courtois. So, yeah, I understand that. I think Abraham's youth is what makes it slightly different. But yeah, I also think it's, you know, in terms of next season, I'm not sure Abraham guarantees you more than Lacazette. It's definitely one that would be more of a kind of mid to long term uh, acquisition. Mm. I just think that the difficulty is finding someone to buy Lacazette. And like you say, when you talk about the English players, part of the reason people are willing to pay for them is that their salaries aren't that crazy. They've come yeah. through the academy, so they're not on huge money. Finding someone to take on Lacazette's salary is in itself tricky. And then to think of a transfer fee on top of that, when they could say, well, we'll just wait 12 months and have him for free. Yeah. And he can just wait 12 months and go, I'll go for free and get my and Bosman. And even and, more. Yeah, you know. yeah. So I, I'm, I, I don't, I tell you what, I don't expect a number nine in this window. I, I'm no, not I'd sure be I see Lacazette going. No, I'd be very surprised if we could find, you know, if, if we somehow managed to sell Lacazette and Willian, I would mm. I would hand out some gold stars to Edu and Richard Garlick, I have to say, because that those situations are difficult. You know, whether you say or um how you want to frame them in terms of it being our own fault. I mean Lacazette's a different one because you bought a what, twenty six year old striker on big money, um you know, he's coming to the end of his contract. That's a reality that many clubs have to deal with. The Willian one, of course, a bed entirely of our own making. Um, so that's, yeah, that's where we are with them. But it doesn't mean, uh, I don't mean to say that that makes it any less difficult to sell them. You know, they're really mm -hmm. difficult deals to do to convince, you know, a player to leave who might not want to leave. Like, I don't get the sense that Lacazette is actively pushing to go anywhere else. No, no. You know? He, and, you know, in fairness, he's, he's looks sharp, fairly sharp in, mm. in pre-season thus far. Yeah, yeah. Um, he doesn't look like a guy who doesn't want to be there, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I think the lack of movement on that one is what will nip Arsenal's Abraham ambitions in the bud. But they definitely do like him, and I think if Lacazette did move, I think, you know, that's one they would go for, for mm. sure. Let me see. Um... Got one I've here. got one. If go on, got yeah, one. yeah, yeah, go, go on. Um, what Calv, who's at Calv Tom Zero, says, what do you think of us trying to snap up young English players? Do you think there are going to be changes to the homegrown quota? And then he adds, Ramsdale looks like he may be the guy as well. Are you happy about that? But what do you think about the English thing? I mean, it's interesting. Ben White, uh, Abraham mentioned, obviously, Ramsdale too. Do you think there is a anything deliberate to that pattern? It feels a bit like it, doesn't it? It does feel a bit like it. Does it does feel that way, yeah. Especially with foregrounding Smith Rowe in the way they have. And yeah. I, I wonder, is it a case of they're looking 
at players who, even if things don't necessarily work out quite as well, will retain a certain value because of A, their age, and B, their homegrown status. And C, the kind of clubs they want to go to. Like, if you've got Lucas Torreira and he decides, I want to go and play in Uruguay, or wherever it might be, or even Spain or Italy, you're probably limited in terms of what you can expect in terms of a fee. Yeah. But if you've got, I don't know, Ben White and it doesn't work out and he wants to go to Everton or Aston Villa, Mm. you can probably extract more from them than you could from a top European club. Yeah, I I think that's part of it. I do wonder as well if part of it is just sort of, you know, it's it's an interesting aspect of it because we've got a Spanish manager. Yeah, yeah. A Brazilian technical director, a German head of the academy. You know, it's a multicultural organization at executive level, American owners, you know, but there is maybe some nod to the fact that Arsenal is an English club. And I think fans like to see uh, homegrown players to an extent. But, you know, with Wenger, you know, he came in and brought in a whole load of French players. Mikel Arteta hasn't brought in a load of Spaniards or Spanish players, which is quite interesting, because I think there is a kind of natural... um, Yeah, you tend to think well of your um, fellow countrymen to an extent, you know, just because. but but maybe it would be fair to say that a lot of Mikel Arteta and to an extent Edu's kind of football formative grounding experiences came in English football with uh, surrounded by British players. I mean, I think it's a really interesting question setting aside the quota, which obviously does matter. Mm. Does it matter to have English players? You know, I think it matters to have good players first. And that was something that, that Wenger always said, wasn't it? You, you look at the passport second, you look at the quality of the player first um, I, I agree with you, but then I do think back to sort of quotes from Thierry Henry about how much, how important he felt it was that he had, you know, people like Ray Parlo, people who, maybe it's just sort of experience of the league rather than mm, nationality that mattered. Yeah. But I do get the sense from Arsenal this summer that this is deliberate. I, I do get that impression. I just feel like there seems to be an emphasis I- on... Yeah, let's let's have a kind of young, homegrown, and maybe it's about stability as well. Maybe it's about the fact that yeah, yeah, they settle. I don't know. I think you're right. I think that's part of it. I mean, someone like Torreira, we keep going back to him. You know, came from South America, settled in Italy, didn't really settle in England. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think it was a huge problem for him, but never felt fully at home. You know what I mean? I don't think there are any of those issues of adaptation for English players. So, Whereas you look at Kieran Tierney, for example, who will be, all right, he comes down from Scotland, but a seamless adaptation, really, to England and London and Arsenal. And, I mean, touch wood, it doesn't feel like he's going anywhere anytime soon. You know, he seems very comfortable with the idea that this is where he is now. Did he get uh, a contract extension? He did as well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, on the contract extension front, we are extending some really interesting younger players. Um, but I think yeah, he got a five-year deal, didn't he, just before mm. the Euros, maybe. But I... What's I going to say? Yeah, it, it does feel deliberate. And maybe that, again, that is part of it. If they're thinking in terms of three, four, five years, they want people who 
are going to be settled, stick around. Mm. It does feel like a cultural choice. I know that some people will uh, scoff at it, I'm sure, because it's quite old-fashioned in a funny sort of way. Yeah, I've seen some questions like, why are we going for... Like, I mean, do you think that's playing a part in the interest and the bids for Aaron Ramsdale? When you could make the argument, and I think it's a decent argument, that you could find at least as good a goalkeeper somewhere in Europe mm. for far less. I mean... Yeah, I, th- I think that's true. I think that's definitely true. Um, I thought your chat with the Sheffield United fan was quite interesting, if mm. people hadn't heard it on the Arsecast the other day. I, I, I imagined the reactions of Arsenal fans when he said... And he seemed like a sane, sensible chap. Mm. Uh, but he said, if Sheffield United were in the Premier League, I wouldn't expect them to sell Ramsdale for anything less than £50 million, which <laughs> I imagined Arsenal fans' heads kind of exploding at that idea. Yeah, uh, I think it definitely is part of it. And I do wonder as well if, especially given that he probably wouldn't start as number one immediately, uh, you know, him being someone who is going to be sort of comfortable in England. Yeah, that's part of it. I mean, mm. the homegrown quota, I think, is part of it too. Um, I mean, they will go back for Ramsdale. I, I don't think it's a question of they want Ramsdale at any price. I think, you know, what Sheffield United are asking is steep. And the, the way I understand Arsenal's interest in Ramsdale is that they want to structure a kind of deal where they would pay an initial fee around 20 million, something like that, make sure Sheffield United get their money back and that the rest of the fee would be constructed out of add-ons, which would only really be payable if he goes on to become the number one. Right. Um, Achievement bonuses, like X amount of appearances, England appearances, if those things happen. So like X appearances in the first five years, England appearances, and also things that relate to the achievement of the team, like Champions League qualification. Like when you used to buy someone on Football Manager and I'll I'll bid 500,000, but I'll pay you 20 million billion if he makes 3,000 appearances. (laughs) Yeah, and I don't think it's quite as unrealistic as that, but I think the perspective is, if this guy goes on to become Arsenal's number one, then maybe he is worth 30 million. But we don't want to pay that and in case that's not what happens, if you see what I mean. Mm. Um, Which is actually, I think makes the deal slightly more understandable. But, yeah, they will go back for him. I don't know if it will get done, though, because I think I think it's quite urgent for Arsenal. I think they actually need someone in that position. Yeah. And I, think, I think if they don't get Ramsdale, who is the clear number one target, I wonder if they'll do a Matt Ryan-esque um, quick fix, kick it down the you know road thing. But they did that last summer. You know, they, mm. they 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 wanted David Raya. They pursued him as closely as they pursued Ramsdale this summer. It didn't happen. They got Runasson. Didn't work. They got Matt Ryan. They clearly decided we want to put this to bed and get a guy for the next five years. Yeah. But if they can't do a deal, I think this is another one that might get kicked down the road and they might, you know, have to make a, a short-term acquisition. Well, yeah, I mean, they've got to do something before the, the start of the season because you... That's the you issue know, for them, yeah. Um, you know, if something happens to Leno, if he gets sent off in the first game, something like that, you've then got that huge gap 
between your first goalkeeper and your third goalkeeper in terms of experience, in terms of quality, in terms of readiness, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, yeah, it is definitely something they're going to have to they're going to have to address. Um, here's a question from where is it? Um, we'll do a couple of quick ones. Peter Hust on the Discord says, what's your take on the partnership with Socios and the fan tokens? Oh, man. I really don't know what I think about that. I mean, that's, that's on brand for me. Uh, <laughs> Arsenal's, Arsenal's. I mean, token is maybe the correct word. Uh, Arsenal's kind of uh, concessions to kind of fan involvement in the club feel quite tokenistic, especially even mm. even compared with some of the other Premier League clubs. In a way, I kind of respect Arsenal's clarity and realism about the fact that they're not claiming they're going to let fans get involved with the running of the club like I think the way like Spurs and Chelsea presented the kind of fan involvement at board level probably made it out to be more influential than it is Mm. Um, and Arsenal were at least like no we're going to have this separate committee uh, and it won't really govern sort of football matters in any way Mm. Um, so, yeah, in a way, I'm like, well, at least it's up front and at least it's honest. The socios thing just feels like a way of kind of monetizing that desire for fan involvement. Um, I mean, you could just have fan involvement without fans having to pay for it. You know what I mean? Of course, yeah. Because none of the sh- shit that's going to go down on this socios thing is going to be... Um, of a, any great consequence. No, not really. Um, maybe there might be one or two sort of polls that take place that might impact the match day experience to uh, a very um, minor level. But, you know, you could just do those things anyway. You could drive fan engagement without having to get fans to put their hands in their pocket to buy some fucking bullshit cryptocurrency that's basically worthless apart from allowing you to vote on the fucking direction of flags or whatever it might be, you know? So from that sense, I think it's a bit grotty, to be honest. I don't yeah. like it. Um, I understand why they're doing it because, you know, it's something that they're getting paid to do, I imagine. A few million into the, the bank account at this point is probably welcome. You know, it's definitely about money. Yeah, for sure, it is. But you know, there are things that I think if you if you were to say how should we do this, it shouldn't be by making people buy things they don't need to buy or spend money on this thing. I mean, look, at the end of the day, nobody has to spend any money on it if they don't want to. If you think it's an absolute grift and it's a load of old bullshit, you don't have to spend any money on it. But at the same time, people like to be involved with their club and um yeah i don't know it's just i think i think actually in terms of sort of fan involvement i was much more encouraged by i don't know if you read the interim findings from tracy crouch's um review into football governance mm. that she was doing for uh it, and there's you can find that i think the ast retweeted it it's quite long but it is worth reading and it does provide some encouragement mm. in terms of what she has found and what she is recommending. Um, you know, I think she recommended an independent regulator, um, a golden share on key heritage issues. Mm. Um, yeah, that that is the one thing that makes me think, ah, 
we might get somewhere with this. Everything else is just kind of noise and, and PR at this point. Mm. Okay, final one. Go on. From D. Smith on the Discord. He says, given the state of Rob Holding's hairline, which of the following should he elect? A, full cue ball shave. B, mm. woolly bald horseshoe. C, Bobby Charlton style comb over. D, Rooney AstroTurf patch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one, Rob Holding, because I think the assumption has been, oh, he's just shaved it all off. But he may be going again. You know, we don't know uh, what interventions may have taken place um, <gasps> what, regarding Rob Holding. What if one day during the holidays, Rob Holding sat down, I see he's got a new dog, by the way, on his Instagram. Right. It's very cute. Rob Holding's new dog. He's got a little retriever puppy. Um, oh, cute. Yeah. So, but what if one day he was sitting down with an afternoon spare to himself and he thought, you know what, I'll watch a movie. What movie will I watch? I'll just flick around Netflix or whatever and see what pops up. What pops up, James? Baby Driver. What's in Baby Driver? John Hamm. John Ham's amazing baby driver hair. What if Rob Holding has decided, hey, I've got the means. I've got the resources. Mm. I could do with a little touch up there. Why not go all in and get John Ham's hair from baby driver? He's gone into whatever the hair replacement guy is. With a picture of John Ham. Picture of John Ham in baby driver. Give me that. Give me one of those. Make it happen. Here's the cash. He's going to be the most debonair defender in the Premier League next season. Exactly. I think I think we've got to let this one play out, really, mm. before we can pass any judgment. Um, but look, I mean, you know, I don't think he looks awful with the shaved head. I think he looks all right. Yeah, look, who are we to pass judgment? Certainly, we're not in the best position. No, absolutely not. But if We I... just wish we could afford John Ham's hair. Exactly. I mean, if I was Rob Holding, that's what I would do. So that's my recommendation for... For Rob Holding. We'll see what happens. Maybe he'll have a big surprise for us. Maybe they'll exactly. do an unveiling. It's still pre-season in their terms, guys. Do you know what? This is something that they're going to monetize through the fucking crypto thing. Buy crypto tokens to decide what happens with Rob Holding's hair. Mm. That's mm. the kind of shit they get up to. Exactly. It's one to watch, definitely. You know, this is a developing team, a developing squad. The same has to be said for Rob Holding's hairline. We, do, we don't know what direction it's going to take. All right. We will leave it there uh, as ever. Thank you very much indeed for being here, for listening, for downloading, for supporting. Uh, you can sign up to Patreon if you like, patreon.com forward slash arseblog. Things will start ticking along there now as we start to make more signings and get closer to the season preview podcast and all the rest. Uh, for now, though, we'll leave it there and we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.